you boars and ghouls keep coming back for more. <laughs> You're loyal to the gore. Well, that's good. <laughs> Welcome to Now Playing's Creep Show Retrospective Series. You see that crap? All that horror crap? Things coming out of crates and eating people? Dead people coming back to life? People turning into weeds, for Christ's sake? Part of the now-playing Stephen King movie series. One more morbid masterpiece. Hosted by Arnie. Lots of people are going to rejoice when I'm dead. Stuart. That kid don't know if it's night or day when he gets going. Yeah, he's very dedicated. And Jacob. My dad says he's a genius. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of this series and keep coming back as we continue looking at all the movies based on the writings of Stephen King. Are you scared? Because you should be. And join Arnie at BooksAndNachos.com for in-depth reviews of all of Stephen King's books and short stories. I told you before, I didn't want you to read this crap. I never saw such rotten crap in my life. Where do you get this shit? Who sells it to you? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Meteor shit! Listener discretion is advised. Are you afraid, Jerry? No. Well, then let's go. Today we're talking about Creepshow 2, starring Lois Childs, George Kennedy, Dorothy Lamore, and Tom Savini, directed by Michael Gornick. This is Old Chief Podcast Head, Arnie. Stuart in L.A. And this is your Mucho Ecological Podcast host, Jacob. You know, it seemed like a big hit to me. I mean, yeah. it launched Twilight Zone the movie. There were all those shows on TV. Like, in 1983, we had The Hitchhiker. Do you guys remember that? Showtime's Hitchhiker would wander into creepy tales. I remember ads for it, but only rich people had Showtime, so I had no pay stations. I was lucky to have more than UHF. Oh, it's how I got to know who Gary Busey was. Tales from the Dark Side, <laughs> George Romero created that in 1984. Alfred Hitchcock Presents came back, Amazing Stories. All of that, it seemed like the anthology was in vogue. So why did it take so long for Creepshow 2 to come? And why was it so paltry when it finally arrived? Yeah, no Warner Brothers here. The first thing I noticed, no Warner Brothers. They're out. New World Pictures. Roger Corman's in. Yes, Roger Corman. Of course, not always a bad thing. Mm. Someday we'll get to Hellraiser 1, and that's a New World Pictures, the Hellraiser films are. But in this case, Warner Brothers, they distributed the last one. They owned the rights for the sequel. They didn't feel they made enough money on the first one, so when they were approached about a sequel, they had no interest, but Roger Corman's New World did, so... I guess they got the rights cheap. Two of the stories here, though, Hitchhiker and Old Chief Woodenhead, those were actually stories developed while making Creepshow 1, and Warner Brothers had options on those stories or something, but I'm guessing they sold them cheaper than Coca-Cola soda, because Corman only likes you to drink generic. It's a warning sign. Skull and Crossbones is how I treated it. I would <laughs> often rent their merchandise at the video store and return it red-faced, angry that I wasted my time. Why didn't I see the label? If it says New World, it is crap. This was something that started just a few years later. 
And producer Richard Rubenstein, who worked on the first film, tried to get the band back together, tried to get George Romero, tried to get Stephen King to write again, wanting to capitalize on this. And Romero didn't want to direct this. He didn't want to do a sequel to Creepshow. When they came up with this concept, they'd always envisioned him handing it off to somebody else in his filmmaking family. He was busy during this time working on another King project. He was going to do Pet Cemetery and was in pretty heavy pre-production. Obviously, that did get made, but not by him. Correct. So he was not very involved in this. He did offer to write the screenplay because King was too busy. He was writing it at this time. And since Romero wasn't going to direct, King said he wasn't going to write. He said he was, quote, nervous about writing a script without Romero directing. And Romero had said in the bonus features for the first film, he had never directed a screenplay that he hadn't written until Creepshow. He was a little nervous himself, letting somebody else do the writing, even if it was Stephen King. And I know they weren't asking Stephen King to direct. Maximum Overdrive had come out the year before. Romero and King decided to kind of partner up behind the scenes. This was actually intended for Tom Savini to direct, but he was busy doing makeup on another project. So they had to go to plan C. And yet he showed up to put on this awful mask. We'll talk about that. Yeah, there were lots of reasons not to come back. I would think including money. Nobody was going to get paid for their hard work. King said he would give ideas for stories. He'd give concepts. Romero would take those concepts and write the screenplay, and then they'd mutually decide on a director, and so they picked, of course, I mean, who wouldn't pick Michael Gornick to direct your film? Who? He was the cinematographer of the first creep show. Hey, that's not always a bad thing. There have been cinematographers who have graduated and had good directing careers. He did do a Stephen King episode of... Tales from the Dark Side, one that I remember quite fondly, Word Processor of the Gods. Yep, I remember that one, mostly because I also read it. Yeah, I remember, I have no idea how I saw it, but right around the time I read Skeleton Crew, I looked that one up, and I'll be revisiting the Tales from the Dark Side episode when I review the Skeleton Crew book, but yeah, he had a relationship with King in addition to having worked with Romero before. At least he was connected. He was in the family. So that would be fine if this movie looked like the movie last week. But yeah, it might be the same cinematographer, but boy, a lot has changed. Yeah, I will say it was not hopeful when I did look up Gornick. He had done some episodes of Tales of the Dark Side, and then he would go on to do episodes of Monsters, that anthology series. All Romero. And a couple episodes of King's Golden Year series, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically he was friends with Stephen King and George Romero, and that's what he owes his career here, too. But yes, he gets to strut his stuff in the theater for Creepshow 2. I admit, I was there opening weekend. I took a friend talking up how great Creepshow was. I remember... Well, I remember two things. I remember walking out thinking it wasn't that bad, but also feeling embarrassed that I had talked something up for being much better than it ended up being. I always remembered Creepshow 2 being lesser, but I also remember that it had something about it that I did like. I am similar. I saw this 
at the same time as the first creep show on VHS. I did not go to theaters. I have no memory of this coming out at all, but I do remember the video box and being excited for it. And I remember watching this. I remember thinking it wasn't as good as the original. And that's all I remember. And I'm a total newbie here. I didn't know there was more than one creep show. If I knew it to exist, I probably would have stayed away because that first one freaked me out so much as a kid. I feel like the stories are famous. I, definitely the hitchhiker. Thanks for the ride, lady. There are things that people do take away from this movie, but there's a drop. And coming back to it, it's unavoidable. You you can't not see that just quality control, that it doesn't look as solid, that the directing is not as sharp. There's not as many stories. I mean, Creepshow had five stories. This one ekes over the 87 minute mark with three that goes back to jacob's original question of why is roger corman involved with this after they decided to do a script they did five stories and then they went to warner brothers who was like no we didn't make enough on the last one to justify another one and so they eventually found financing at new world but they had to cut from their screenplay. None, it's not like it was filmed and cut out. They had to cut two of the five stories. 90 minutes is a better running time, I feel, for this kind of film. Two hours is a little too long. That said, will these three segments even be able to justify 90 minutes? Well, that's what we'll discuss. <laughs> but sneak peek, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not against the idea of having a shorter movie, but that means you make shorter episodes to fill it out here. What they're going to do is stretch out. We get longer cuts of three episodes instead of filming. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie we got then, Arnie. Give them the plot. We'll get into Creepshow 2. Well, Creepshow 2 is three live action stories framed by an animated tale. In the animation, which is told in segments between and before and after the live action ones. I'll just sum up. A boy named Billy, who is not the same Billy as the last film. It's not? It's another Billy. It's a different actor. It's definitely not a Stephen King child. Is anxiously awaiting the next issue of the Creepshow comic book, which is delivered to him by The Creep. Which is definitely a different creep. <laughs> oh, yes. man. Like a reject from Nightbreed. That's what I thinking <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is around this time mcdonald's had the mac tonight ads <laughs> reminds me of like the crescent moon-faced singer kane poltergeist three i don't know if you remember that but deesh. oh i do but he's the monstrous mc for this movie but billy is picked on by local bullies who steal and squash the venus flytrap billy mailed for using a comic book ad so billy kicks the lead bully in the balls and runs with the bullies close behind it turns out that venus flytrap wasn't billy's first he leads them to his farm of giant man-eating plants who devour the bullies and as that story plays, our other three tales are Old Chief Woodenhead, where George Kennedy plays shopkeep Race Bruce and Dorothy Lamore is his wife Martha. Their shop has been losing money since Dead River became a ghost town, but Ray insists on keeping the store open to help out the local Native Americans in the area. He even tries to keep the store looking nice, freshing up the paint of the cigar store Indian Old Chief Woodenhead that sits outside the store. Native American elder Benjamin White Moon pays the store a visit. 
His tribe has gathered their valuable jewelry and treasures, and White Moon asks Ray to keep them. And if his tribe cannot pay for all the goods they've taken in the next two years, Ray can keep them forever as payment. Ray doesn't want to accept, but does so as to not dishonor White Moon and his tribe. But as White Moon leaves, his nephew Sam and two other thugs break into the store, kill Ray and Martha, and steal the tribe's valuables. This brings old Woodenhead to life, and he hunts down and kills the three thugs. The wooden man returns the jewels to White Moon while the elder sleeps, and then returns to the shop front door. The second story, The Raft, tells of four college students, Deke, Randy, Laverne, and Rachel, who go to a deserted beach and get high and party. They swim to a raft floating in the water, where they're attacked by a creature that looks like an oil slick. Three of the students die, leaving only Randy, who leaps off the raft and swims to the beach. There he gloats, telling the oil slick, I beat you, but the monster leaps up onto the shore, engulfing and killing Randy, and then floating back to the water. And the third story is The Hitchhiker, where Lois Childs plays Annie Lansing, an adulteress driving home from a night with her paid lover. While trying to concoct a story to tell her husband why she was out so late, Annie's car swerves out of control, hitting and killing a hitchhiker on the side of the road. Annie hears other cars coming, so she turns around and flees the accident, but wherever she drives, she sees the battered body of the hitchhiker clawing to get in her car, saying, Thanks for the ride, lady! She smashes up her car while trying to kill the undead hitchhiker, and she hits a tree and passes out. But when she wakes up, there's no sign of the man, and she drives back home. But once in her garage, he appears and attacks her again. Then her husband comes home to find Annie dead in the garage, her car running. She's apparently suffocated from the fumes. But around her neck is the hitchhiker's sign reading Dover. And with those stories told, the creep who hosted the events cackles and drives away in his comic delivery van as credits roll. So yes, less stories, more detail to each... They go a little bit longer. Yeah, basically the editor has to extend them longer than any of them are worth. I'll say it right now. Every single story here is dragged out way too much, including this frame story. I really got a reaction out of Billy and the creep last time, but man, you just know instantly that when the truck opens and the new issue of <laughs> Creepshow arrives, I'm like, did Tom Atkins just go out to the trash and pull this movie out because this movie looks like shit? Now, Savini was not involved in this project. As I mentioned, he was doing something else during this time, and he wasn't even supposed to play the creep. The creep was supposed to be played by the FX department head, Ed French. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more, but suffice to say he wasn't with the project at the end, and so they needed to find somebody else to play the creep, and they wanted Savini involved in some way, so they were able to get him on the set for one day. Anybody could put on the putty they have. I mean, that's <laughs> it's not like, wow, we got to get the performance. It doesn't even sound like Savini. Why not get the doll back? I mean, why not get the cadaver that they pimped out with moving parts? That human skeleton costs a lot of money. Yeah. Well, glad to know that you can put a price on life. <laughs> and it's more than Creepshow 2. <laughs> but Savini, he's under some really ugly makeup that he did not design. This is okay. not his fault. <laughs> See, that's the thing I was really like, uh, you know, the acting, whatever. But yeah, the fact that this is a special effects makeup man and that's the makeup job, ugh, that hurts. He was given some consulting credit on this but 
From all the interviews with the FX guys and everything, that consulting credit may have been honorary for wearing makeup. <laughs> yeah, he may not have wanted that credit. They probably wanted him to have credit more than he did. Oh no, you take the blame for this. <laughs> but yeah, this does not look scary. I actually thought he might be our narrator. You know, I always go back to the Crypt Keeper as my example of this, and... I thought maybe he would pop up and tell the stories and introduce each comic panel. But really, we have him here and a little bit at the end. I'm kind of glad we don't have more because he looks so bad. But I also think that it's really weird and pointless to have him being a comic delivery guy. And it's not even Savini's voice. It's just Savini's body, really. And comics are not delivered like newspapers. They are not delivered in bundles on the corner. Like, come on. Well, that's good, because otherwise the spines might be cracked, throwing bundles out. Yeah, that twine is going to damage them. Yeah. I didn't even recognize until the credits that Tom Savini is doing this performance. But uh, the only nice thing I can say about it is I did go back and look at Tales from the Crypt, and... This does kind of look like the original Crypt Keeper or, or the Vault Keeper, that it, they weren't skeletons that were cackling, and it, it was a little bit more like Marty Feldman deformed human look. Oh, God, yes, Igor, that is what he looks like. I mean, even when he goes into animation mode, he doesn't look any better. It's just a bad design. Yeah, that animation is horrible, too. I don't know who the team is behind this, but it sucks. This was never the original intent to do an animated opening and middle closing. This was all supposed to be live action, but the director repeatedly bemoaned on the commentary the lack of money. This was had to be under $4 million, so it was 3999999 and that was not enough to do a live-action wraparound story with any effects. Yeah, seeing that they used a tarp for a monster, we'll get into it. I would have loved to see how they would have done those Venus flytraps. With this weird kind of animation style that was taking me back to kind of some of those animated Lord of the Rings that we did. Not the rotoscoped ones, but like the original Hobbit. I was thinking about Heavy Metal. Yes, Heavy Metal is where I ended up going. Disney's... You know, they weren't doing well in the 80s, but if you wanted it to look right, you did go to <laughs> Walt Disney Company. Because when you didn't, you ended up with stuff that looked like this. This is just crappy looking. And The thing it came to me is the Dungeons and Dragons series from the 80s, the Star Wars ripoff. The little kid Billy here looked like the little blonde kid from that. And later we're going to get the monsters that reminded me of those dragons. That was my closest comparative is, yeah, it looked like cheap television animation from three to four years before this movie came out. I don't feel like the music is any better either. I mean, last time I felt like there was a synth John Carpenter quality to it. Some child choirs. It, it had a vibe. This is like one guy in a keyboard. And I looked it up. Les Reed actually had a musical career. He wrote Tom Jones, It's Not Unusual. So, of course, he's doing the score to a horror movie. I actually like some of the music in this, but not this opening theme. I think it's a little lackluster. You'll have to point out where you like it. All the things that stuck out for the last movie, the, the comic book framing, the colors, yeah. the animation, the music, all that stuff that were is gone here. It it, is. It's just missing. Yeah, that was, again, budgetary. 
they wanted to do more, but that required having sets, and they couldn't afford sets. Now, never mind Creepshow 1's set was a high school gymnasium. They couldn't even afford that for this, and since it was all shot on location, they couldn't do any green screen or anything. We don't get the comic books. Too bad. You can feel the loss. It was a big selling point. When the stories weren't great in Creepshow, you still had a great time because of that overarching aesthetic. Yeah, there's style to it. Yeah, and that will carry you through when other things fail. And here, there is nothing to catch them when they slip off the tightrope. I never imagined Creeper living in a castle either. I gotta say, when we move away from Billy and (laughs) we see where he lives, he's like feeding a dinosaur and living in some Scottish castle. I I... All of a sudden, he's Gargamel. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing you boars came back. Gluttons for punishment. Loyal to the gore. You know, I don't think any of us would have come back if we knew it was going to be in such sad state. Honestly, don't pat yourself on the back. I think, though, those jokes would kill if delivered by the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't need it to be quality joke writing. I just need the vibe to come back. I mean, what was most essential about Creepshow was that you felt transported to the campfire or to the horror comics, that you really felt like a kid relishing in a dark subversive story even though it really wasn't yeah i mean right away where you got billy telling his dad to go to hell and staring out at the creep hovering out of his window like that just gave you a dirty gross feel like here though i feel like i'm watching saturday morning cartoons and it doesn't (laughs) help that we go into little house on the prairie basically oh my god (laughs) yes this is such little house old chief woodenhead story number one i'll say this I like where it goes eventually. Oh, it takes so long to get there, though. (laughs) This whole beginning where you've got George Kennedy, who I know, I guess it's a Leslie Nielsen connection as both would star in the Naked Gun movies together. Yeah, I mean, I think millennials might know him best from his bad breath commercials in the 90s. <laughs> if, you, if you remember Breath Ashore, he was trying to tell you how to wash out that stank from the back of your throat. <laughs> but he is an Oscar-winning actor. It's worth pointing out, Cool Hand Luke, very big movie for him. Yes, uh, he's great in that. And then his wife is an actress i don't really know dorothy lamore yeah she's musical like she did all the bob hope bing crosby road movies like she was in an era where you know she was the pretty girl that would come out and sing in a foreign land and boy is she in a foreign land now (laughs) (laughs) but they're just sitting there talking about the good old days and He's talking about trying to paint old chief woodenhead even though his hand isn't as steady as he used to be and it's okay. I'm like, okay, you're setting up the town, you're setting up the story. But then when Benjamin White Moon comes up, first of all, I'm uncomfortable with the Native American stereotyping going on. I mean, come on, this is called Old Chief Woodenhead. It's it's already in shaky territory. <laughs> But second, when Martha starts giving her speech about how I didn't believe in the people, but you showed me I was wrong. I'm like, okay, we just finished an episode of Little House. And why is this a creep show? I mean, we're 15 minutes in. The music is that Little House on the Prairie music. They're talking about, should we retire so we have something to give the grandkid? Like, I'm getting a whole lot from Ray and Martha, and I don't care. Like, get to the point. When's that statue going to come to life? Because I, <laughs> I know that's what's going to happen. 
Yeah, this is pitiful, really. I mean, you have two Hollywood legends dusted off for the screen. Maybe their last <laughs> hurrah on the big screen. Well, again, he had the Naked Gun trilogy. Uh, trilogy? All three? Yeah. Huh? Okay. He's he's Leslie Nielsen's boss. I remember him from the first one, I you know. But they're giving performances you'd expect in a local TV spot. I mean, honestly, <laughs> save big money at Menards, Eagle Man, <laughs> Empire Carpet. This is what I'm thinking from this Oscar-winning actor. <laughs> he's not given much to work with. It's not his fault. I actually kind of like his doddering performance. There is something really old-timey about it. Like, he's from a different era, that he would be a shopkeeper. I'm wondering, at, for a period, if this is a period piece. Like, is this supposed to be the 70s, the 60s? But then, when the hoods come in, who, um, they should have been wearing leather, they should be greasers in a King story. But we've got Sam White Moon, Fat Stuff, and Andy. I'm like, okay, it's modern day, and it's really taking a long time to get to a point. Yeah, what's hilarious to me is, like, they have this whole thing with Benjamin White Moon, like, here, take my people's turquoise jewelry. Like, I'm again, I don't want to go into stereotypes, but I think of every, like, Indian gift shop that I've passed, and they're always advertising their turquoise jewelry. I don't think this is real turquoise. <laughs> but it's like, take our turquoise jewelry, keep it for two years, or if we don't pay you back, you can keep it, but you got to protect that with your life. And so they have this whole thing with Benjamin. Benjamin leaves, he looks up at Woodenhead, who kind of slightly moves, but they walk back into the store, and all of a sudden it's like nighttime, there's Sam and his two hoods with them, like robbing the place. It's it's such an abrupt cut. It was sundown earlier. It was sunset when Benjamin arrived. I thought that was dramatic lighting done not because the sun had gone down, but because they stepped from the brightness and the optimism of, oh, we have all these debts, but now we have enough jewelry to cover them. And then it all, you know, within, you know, stepping back in and they've discovered they're being robbed. I thought that was, if they were doing the comic book style, I feel like it would turn purple and green or something. You know, that was their way of trying to do uh, expressionistic cinematography. But this is not going for that comic book look of last time. Although we do have issues of Creepshow here in the store as they're ripping it up. Yeah, I did notice that. There's a whole rack of them. Yeah, the cover from the last movie. It was kind of cute. Yeah, I could have used more of that. Sam White Moon here, though, this actor. First of all, he goes on and on about his hair, and it is gorgeous. It's like a L'Oreal commercial. Did you want him to rub it between your legs? <laughs> Maybe. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was a line. He's like, all the women love my hair between their legs. Oh, that's right. Okay, all right. I forget this incredible dialogue. But yes. his performance, I actually was getting, like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson off of him at times. Like, his delivery, his big smile. Is that good or bad? <laughs> it's actually strangely good. I'm like, wow, this is, like, strange to have an actor that seems so good. The guy went on to do nothing, but... No, that's not true. He's a big character actor. He was in Fight Club, Three Kings, Alien 3. I've seen him a lot. Yes, but I couldn't recall a single character he played. I've seen movies with him in it. Well, he's a character actor. Yeah, that's my point. Unlike it's, this movie, he did make it to Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is a standout. I mean, we don't have really any Ed Harris's or Ted Danson's, Leslie Nielsen's in this one. I get, we'll have Stephen King again, though. Yeah, we do get him. What, you're, you're dissing George Kennedy now? 
Yeah, you know, he, like I said, he was at the end of his rope. <laughs> that he has to do this feels like a just shaming. I feel bad for him, but. Well, what about Fat Stuff? That's played by David Holbrook, son of Hal Holbrook. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. And I know Andy's some character actor. I recognized yeah. his face, and he's done, yeah. like, Die Hard 2 and a few things. Yeah. Here's the thing with Sam. I, I agree, Arnie, that there is something captivating by him. I don't know why he's given such a long monologue. I guess, again, they got to hit that 90-minute mark. He just talks forever. I'm like, I'm ready for Ray and Martha to die. I'm good. Just shoot him already. Like, such a long setup. All this talk about Hollywood and his hair. It's, get to the point. Romero wept at cutting like 10 minutes out of the first creep show. I wish they would have cut 10 minutes out of this one. 80 minutes is the minimum for a feature. If you'd taken this down to 80 and shaved like eight of it out of this, I think it would be so much better because it's 20 minutes into the story, 25 minutes into the film before old chief Woodenhead decides to avenge the death of these old people. And it is sad to see them die. I, they'd been around for so long. I came to like them. (laughs) (laughs) Is he avenging their death though? Or is he just going to get the jewelry back? (laughs) Good point. You know, here's the thing, Arnie. I know, and you know, they would have cut this down. This is not the cut that they wanted to turn in. They wanted to have two other stories here. So what we're seeing is really almost closer to an assembly cut, which is when you just piece together everything you shot into one long cut, and then editors take that and go, all right, well, now let's make the movie from this. Well, they just had to leave it in because there were no alternatives. The padding that they needed couldn't be filmed on the budget that they had. You could have shaved 10 minutes, and if you did the Jonah Hex, you could have shaved 20 and had the credits roll real slow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you could have. I understand why they left it in, but it is to the detriment of pacing. And yeah, this would be as fun as some of the episodes last time if they had the budget for it and if they had the right pacing for it. I remembered this episode being my favorite of Creepshow 2. And Ish. Ooh, wow. I might have been right. That's the horrible part. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when Woodenhead finally decides to avenge the death slash just get the jewelry back, like, he moves as slow as this segment does. Like, slowly dips his hand in the paint, slowly gets off that pedestal. I'm, I'm shocked that he's able to catch anyone and kill him. Well, he's made of wood, Jacob. I, I go with this. He's not going to be nimble. Is that why he's moving slow, or is it just that's the, what they have for the makeup? I don't think he's slow. They're slow. They should have left. They were supposed to be going to Hollywood, but first I'm going to go home and watch TV? They got to get their stuff, and they'll meet at 11. Bad plan. You just committed armed robbery and murder. Get out of town. Don't go <laughs> into the photo booth and take pictures and say how pretty you are. You're leaving evidence. I thought that was going to come back to how they knew who killed Ray and Martha. That never comes back, though. <laughs> the negative is in that machine, so they would have never gotten away with it old chief wooden head or not someone would have figured it out eventually <laughs> but come on it's creep show we want something supernatural to happen i don't know i like it uh, from some kind of standpoint it works as a zombie but i did think it was a little strange to have a story in which these old people are talking about the downfall of america and an indian zombie comes back to defend them <laughs> i'm like eh, i think it works the other way the indian had it worse than you do 
but they were friends to the Indians, and so that's why he's avenging. No, I'm talking about Indians in general, the white right. man versus the Indian, to, to portray the Native American as the crusader for the white shop owner is a little strange. <laughs> that's a strange bedfellows there. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm like, this is the 80s. They're not thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It wouldn't be too long before we had that whole Dance with the Wolves Indian renaissance, but you're right. At this point... They were lucky just to have... I'm actually not sure if these actors are Native American. I know that they, they have an Anglo last name, so... I know Frank Salcedo is. He's also known as Grey Wolf. He is a Native American actor. Okay, good to know. And I'm glad that they made something here authentic. But the fun part, the part I remember really loving, is really only a you know about a minute long, but it's the <laughs> kills. Yes, it's the actual gore. I do like when they get to that. I guess you got to know where to put your money. So when Fatso gets shot up with arrows and Andy's car gets smashed up and he gets killed, like, they're good shots. They don't last long, though. Mm-hmm. I knew this was coming from 15 minutes into this film. The more Sam talked about his hair, I'm like, well, he's getting scalped. He's going to get scalped. And it's satisfying that he does. I mean, if he didn't, I'd be pissed, but... I guess it's satisfying that we're told that he's scalped. We'll see that scalp in Chief Woodenhead's hand. I wanted to see it, though. I mean, that is why I'm watching a creep show film. Show me the scalping. Show me that Indian scalping another Indian. That does seem weird. But, like, taking that right off. Show me the blood, the gore. That's what I want. That's what I've enjoyed for a few brief seconds in this episode. Do keep in mind, Native American tribes scalped other Native American tribes. I mean, there was a lot of warring between tribes. But it doesn't feel like the revenge we want, right? Like, it would make more sense if this were set up that the Indians were poor because some kind of horrible condition that had been imposed upon their reservation. To me, that's more satisfying. The fact that, yeah, the story is this zombie Native American is going to defend white people from other Indians is strange. And we do kind of see the scalping. I mean, you the other deaths are almost completely off screen. The arrows come out of nowhere. Oh, that shot in the garage. I remember that being the highlight. I've never seen anything like that. Now it's kind of a cliche, but the silhouette of the Indian raising the axe and then the blood splatter on the wall as he yeah. brings it down. I remember thinking that was genius. I was like, oh, this movie's incredible. <laughs> I was what, 12? I don't know. But, you know, it worked then. It still works now, but maybe not genius. Yeah, but Woodenhead, I mean, he grabs Sam through the wall, straight out of RoboCop, and, like, he's pulling his hair. I just wanted that gore shot, and we're just going to see a part of a wig with some red dye on it later. And this shitty composer can think of nothing else to do. We're in a bathroom. He's being killed. Psycho strings. It's the shrieking violins from Hitchcock. Well... The creep comes back and says, still here, kitties, and he's lucky we are, okay? That one was rough. <laughs> if this had been not a videotape and uh, this was television, I would have flipped the channel. I think this still might be my favorite one, mostly because, yeah, that last two minutes is really fun. But, yeah, it's sad that, I mean, I'm milking and overpraising a climax to a story that could have been better. There's so many ways that they could have made this better. They had more money or the frugality to be able to cut it down to the size it should have been all along. But we're going to get an interlude with little cartoon Billy and the stupidest mailman in the world who has never heard of a Venus flytrap. Hey, remember COD? <laughs> yeah. You know, they still use that. Every so often I get an eBay package and the mail has the audacity to tell me I need to give them money. <laughs> 
Yeah. They're starting to tease the voodoo doll of this movie. We know that if it's Billy and if we saw Creepshow 1, that there's something that he's conspiring to do, that the magazine has given him a bad idea, that he's sent away for something in the mail. We're anxious to know what it's going to be. That it's Venus Flytraps... Feels a little weird. A little Shop of Horrors had just come out. Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors definitely is where I went. You know, it was a successful stage play. A lot of people would have known it from that. Maybe not the movie when they were making this. But yeah, how is this going to factor into the story? Is he going to go home and grow it and kill his dad again? I, I knew Tom Atkins was better than this. So I didn't think that was going to happen. But I couldn't guess quite yet where it was going. Again with your Tom Atkins. He's not in this movie. <laughs> but don't we wish he was, like, someone of caliber? <laughs> I know you keep telling me Ray and Martha are someone, Arnie, but come on. I want an Atkins. We're going to get a Bond, babe, in the next segment. But first, we have to get through the raft. Yes, the raft. This one is, again, somewhat on the slowish side, but at least we're in real familiar territory. We are not in Little House on the Prairie. We got four college students smoking weed, driving out to a lake. Friday the 13th, I'm in home. Yeah, and this one woke me up because I actually knew the story that it was based. I think it's the only King published story from Creepshow, too, is that I had read skeleton crew before i saw this film in theaters so i knew exactly what was going to happen and it was okay i I don't feel like it's king at his best it felt like he smoked a lot of dope watched a lava lamp and said (laughs) wouldn't it be amazing if that thing attacked us is kind of how it came across (laughs) is that what it is in the book because i agree with you arnie like i feel like okay i know where this one is going horny teens marijuana fast cars i get this horror setting the fact I think they're running from, like, a tarp or a garbage bag <laughs> yes. in the water. It, it I... looked like a pool cover. Yes. Yes. Yeah, again, with the budget. When you read the story, they very clearly state that the thing has a quality, that it, they're a hypnotizing, kaleidoscopic center, that if you look into the abyss... You're mesmerized. Again, I think lava lamps, that there's just something going on in there that draws your attention and it almost makes you want to leap into it, that it, mm-hmm. that it draws you in by the way it looks. But that I, on this budget, yeah, the costume designer threw a tarp out onto the lake and ta-da, here's your new monster. I mean, this is worse than what they did in the 50s. I mean, <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, I laughed pretty hard on the commentary with this. That garbage bag monster, they knew what they had done. (laughs) I looked at even the storyboards. When I'm doing all these bonus features, I don't look at storyboards. Very rarely anyway. But this time I had to. There was a thing with the effects guys, and they were saying they had no description from King's original short story. There was nothing in the script. So I went and looked at the storyboards thinking, well, they had to have drawn something. No, they just drew like a black whirlpool. And so the effects guys were on their own to build something. And so they spread some latex out on the ground and put some foam on it with beer cans and big boy pieces and other junk and some spiral effects. And that was the monster. Tops, big boy? They said big boy pieces. I don't know what that means. Okay. (laughs) Leftover scraps from lunch? (laughs) I think so. Look, they couldn't afford to waste any money on this. That empty (laughs) soda cup, throw it in there. It's a monster. Well, this actually got the head of the effects department fired. (laughs) 
Good. I'm glad yes. someone got fired for yes. this. They should. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even develop it, but he was not who they wanted. They wanted Savini. And when they couldn't get him, they got this guy, Ed French, who had worked with this director on some Tales from the Dark Side stuff. And he came in and apparently they shot this one first with Old Chief Woodenhead second and the Hitchhiker third. And the director knew that French was in over his head when he saw this thing in the water and they couldn't move it. I mean, two other guys, they were like sort of proud that they were able to put something together so cheap, but it was on the head of the department to figure out how to move it in the water and he couldn't. And so he was pretty much fired or asked to quit at that point. The director was far more diplomatic about it and praised this guy. But there's a bonus feature with like a couple of the effects guys who met here. They now run KNB FX Group. Mm -hmm. They had to step up, but I think it was just too late to make this not a garbage bag monster. <laughs> but they were able to help the rest of the shoot. And what's so weird is Rachel... She refuses the pot in the car. I figure, okay, she's the good girl. Yeah. She's going to be the last one alive. Yeah, I thought so too. Laverne's obviously the first one dead. She's the slut. But no, Rachel's going to get it first. Yeah. And speaking of Laverne, she's wearing a Horlicks University shirt. And I thought maybe because she was the <laughs> is slut. That a pun? No, yeah. it turns out Horlicks <laughs> University is from the first creep show film. Yep. That was the university with the monster. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, the crate. And there's another little tie, too. They try to, that that the two men in this, Randy and Deke, kind of yell at each other, Cisco and Poncho. That's a reference to Old Chief Woodenhead. If you remember, Fatso was watching a, the Cisco kid, and there was somebody saying that. So I, they're trying to do this. I was wondering what the Poncho was all about. <laughs> I was thinking Poncho and John. Well, it's also in the story. It should be said it was just, when you read the story, you get the sense that these guys just have a closeness, and they're passionate around and they're stoned and it's just their, their way of communicating it's their shorthand their nicknames for one another but if the first creep show had all that interplay between the episodes like with the ashtray and what have you they're starting to kind of do that here and who knows maybe there are references to the episodes they didn't film also here but there's not enough of it to feel as tightly woven and of the same universe. Having read the script, if there are the references, they're really subtle to production pieces and not really the plots. I mean, again, just like Chief Woodenhead, I'll credit this for when it gets to the gore. It's kind of cool looking. Like, I don't know if it's melting Rachel's arm or, or whatnot, but I, I kind of dig. They do do something once that slime or that pool tarp attack. It reminded me of the remake of The Blob that came out around the same time with the kind of purplish blackness and... Well, it's a blob. I mean, yeah, but I mean, the, come on. The, let's not insult that movie. That movie had a budget. <laughs> but the way Rachel gets engulfed by it and it starts to, like, eat her flesh a bit, I thought it was a cool effect. And they did some reverse photography, so it looks like it leaps out of the water when, in fact, they're pulling, yeah, something plasticky and black down. A uh, funny story, uh, that water was apparently really freezing and one of the actors had hypothermia and the producers were like, we keep filming and the director had to threaten to quit <laughs> in order to get him medical attention. 
Jeez. What is the plan here? I don't get, like, in the story, it came across that this was just a, a pothead idea. They were stoned, they were baked, and this guy had been there on a class field trip, and he was like, oh, let's go. There's still a remnant of summer lying around. We'll swim out and we'll swim back. But this, first of all, it doesn't look like they're in New England. It looks like they're in Southern California. It doesn't look cold. Uh, Utah, actually. Okay, yeah. It may have been cold then. Yeah, Old Chief Woodenhead, it had so many outdoor shots, they had to shoot someplace that looked authentic, and they also shot the raft there. They did go to Maine for The Hitchhiker, because King pretty much demanded filmmakers make movies in Maine now, and he had that juice. Yeah, if you wanted him in your cameo, you had to bring the cameras to his country. Or you could just skip his cameo. (laughs) (laughs) So it does look authentic in that regard, But yeah, I couldn't figure out what the plan was unless it's orgy on the raft. That's what I figured. I mean, again, horny teens, I thought that's where it was going. I was trying to figure out what is going to be the ironic twist. I guess we didn't really get that with Chief Woodenhead, but I figure with Creepshow, you got to have the ironic twist. They kept cutting to the car with, like, the doors open. They had rock music playing. I'm like, did they leave the keys in with, like, the music playing? Is it, like, they're not going to be able to get away because the battery's dead? Never going to play a part in this story, just like those photos of Sam never played a part in that story. But I I was trying to figure out what's going on. No, it's literally just four people trapped on a raft in the middle of a lake while a bull tarp slowly eats them. I'll give one compliment. It is pretty cool how Deke gets it. Yes. Oh, that is brutal. Yeah. You know, he's clearly the physically fit football hero. We believe him when he says, I can outswim this thing. I'm like, oh, I'm sure you can outswim the tarp. But the thing is, (laughs) it's gone underneath the raft. And since it's planks, there's that, that little gap in between the two that his foot is straddling. And it gets him that way and just pulls him under. It's faster here than... In the book, it takes like all night for him to be devoured, but it's really effective to watch his leg like point up in a direction that it shouldn't. Yeah. He just quickly sinks underneath the goo. I like that, but he's dead and then he's alive again and then he's dead again. I thought that was a little fun. What's weird is then it becomes a don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's backstory. Because <laughs> yeah. like now they just have to like stand on these wooden planks. And I guess they do that through the night. And then Randy, when there's a monster in the lake that you're in, bad time for sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not even sex. In the book, that was consensual sex. Here, not in this movie, man, it's not. <laughs> yeah, what is with that? I thought she was sure to die but the way it went i thought maybe he'd be the one to live i thought one person would live i i guess i was of the mindset somebody has to escape to be able to tell the tale you know so there's usually a witness and so i thought he'd make it out when he starts like pulling up her shirt and kissing on her i actually was wondering if she like died of hypothermia during the night he was just like oh well i may as well get it on and you know what's gonna make it even sexier is xylophone the guy doing the score is like <laughs> clink, 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 clink. i'm like oh my god this is a horrible scene <laughs> I just thought it was a weird turn, but I wasn't quite sure why that choice was made. And I don't know if you're going to follow this story, make it consensual. Romero adapted the story. So at some point, Romero's like, you know what would improve this story? Sexual assault. Maybe he feels like that's a, a reason to root for this guy to not get away. But the way when it when I read it, it felt more like. There was a choice he made at some point where he thought about throwing her in. He's like, I can sacrifice her and then I can swim while she's being eaten. They 
almost kind of teased that here. Yes, maybe a little. I got that impression, yeah. Yeah, I thought he might do it. Yeah. He certainly seems to take advantage of the fact that once she wakes up realizing that, yes, she's both being groped and being eaten by the goo (laughs) underneath, that he uses that as an opportunity to disappear and start swimming. Which is what they should have done. It never seemed fast. I was with Deke at the beginning. I think all three should have swam. If it went after one of them, the other two would get away. And in the story, it's supposed to be exceptionally slick and fast. Here, it's this floating tarp. I'm like, it's like trying to escape a lily pad. Go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Jaws. We can all agree that, like, I don't need for the monster to have a mythos or we understand certainly Lovecraft. The monster just is and you deal with it, but you have to film it in a way that makes it exciting. That is the one thing I require here is that you got to go Spielberg and give us those inferences that make us jump and and really root i don't care if the guy gets to the shore or not yeah no i like when Laverne gets it her face like stuck to the side of the raft and then we actually i think they did use a skeleton covered in that goo to pop up but yeah the fact that randy randy and d could have outswam this thing at any point like it shows the beginning the girls aren't the best swimmers but they could have outswam this thing and what randy only gets it because he he doesn't go far enough up on the shore that's what i take of it yeah I did like that shot. It's really probably the best shot in this segment is the tidal wave of goo that it's just like, I'm going to get you, take you out to shore. And it reminded me of just honestly bad 80s effects, which it is. So it's not that great, but it's got a charm to it that I like. And I didn't expect it. I expected him to get away even after the assault of like, well, that's going to be strange. I guess I'm going to have to call out how the sexual assault person got away. And no, it covers (laughs) him like the tarp that it is and then slinks back out to see. I... We'll say I preferred the more suicidal, fatalistic ending that King had on the original story to this, but I think this works better as a movie. Yeah, I agree. You've got to give us hope. If it had been shot as a good action scene, this would be the way to do it. But as is, the story, while being rather slight, still towers over this adaptation. This feels like a dollar baby. No, this feels like a quarter baby. <laughs> But yet, it still moved better for me than that first story. You know, this is as long as the last one, but because it was the four teens and because the monster shows up and we get to the deaths pretty quick and then there's the suspense, the pacing on this one I actually like. I wouldn't want this one cut down much. Okay. And then the ironic end. I was wondering, why is this monster here? They smoked pot. Is that enough of a sin to have all four of them killed? Obviously, the sexual assault is, but the rest... But they didn't see the no swimming sign. Maybe... (laughs) Was that an ironic twist? I feel like that's a Linus Morissette irony. (laughs) Not really. Yeah. There's just not enough there to leave that as a stinger. The stinger is he gets eaten by the tidal wave. That, to me, was the end. I didn't... The last shot, again, just feels like... Well, we filmed it. Let's put it in the movie because we've got to get to that mythical 90-minute mark. Maybe it was referencing the death of Jody Verrill because it's overgrown with weeds. You know, I would love to be making those comparatives. I wish this movie were smart enough to have done that. But no, you could tell Stephen King didn't write these. I mean, he wrote the short story for The Raft, but I agree. This does not feel like it comes from the same 
pen. The screenplay plays differently, and that's because Romero wrote this, and somebody else directed his words. But then we have another animated feature where the creep shows back up looking like the witch from Hansel and Gretel with that hood up and the big chin, because Billy's being chased by some bullies who wear cowboy spurs. Oh, finger leatherless gloves. Nothing says more evil in yes. the 80s. You strap one of those things on. You didn't, he didn't even need the spurs. Look, that was the ultimate sign of being a badass. It was. I remember I want. I would cut fingers off of gloves just so I could have those. <laughs> it did instantly identify you as a dangerous threat. So he's chased by the bike. They squash his Venus flytrap that looks like a purple ball sack. And we move on to my favorite story in this movie. The Hitchhiker, starring Holly Goodhead. Yep. I remembered it wrong. I thought it was Octopussy, but it is not Maud Adams. It is Lois Giles, who... She was in Octopussy, right? That was that movie? No, Moonraker. The, ah. Yeah. Oh. The one that no one likes. And plus, <laughs> she was on Dallas for a while, Coma, The Way We Were. She worked. This was one of her last roles. Much like George Kennedy, this was the last station on the train heading to oblivion. But here's our other big star. And I guess because they got to pad this out, there's a whole opening scene with her with a gigolo? (laughs) I don't understand what any of this has to do with the story. Like, Is he the car repairman? What do you mean? I thought he was her mechanic. No, she pays him. I take it he's actually a gigolo. Yes, obviously he's getting paid for sex, but I also thought he was the mechanic. Oh, that might explain why she's paying in check. Because I was like, if you're trying to conceal this from your husband, why would you make out to your gigolo uh, dollar amounts? But maybe that is the cover (laughs) story. I don't really know. Yeah, there's a lot of chit-chat about here in bed, about is he a fan of wind-up or electric alarm clocks? Uh, I know he's a fan of Stephen King because he has the whole library yes. on his bedpost. It was pretty new at the time, and it is large right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the days Stephen King showed up on set. He's like, why don't we put these up here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, the whole point is that she fell asleep after sex and now she has to rush home. She doesn't have enough time, but she's got to race home to beat her husband to the house. And that's going to make her reckless and careless in the car. And she's going to hit a pedestrian while she's smoking. And it does seem like because later on they'll call it, oh, as an African-American she hit, that they're going, again, for some kind of racial tension, mm-hmm. like they're creeping on you with Mr. White and Mr. Pratt. If King has involvement with this story, they, he, I, as far as I know, never published this as a short story, but he is responsible for giving George Romero the idea for this as a segment. I think he must have been heavily influenced by a radio play called The Hitchhiker that was a very big deal back in 1941, that it was written by Lucille Fletcher, who also wrote Sorry, Wrong Number, and that was a big thriller in the 40s. And basically, Orson Welles narrates sort of a occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge kind of story in which he keeps passing a hitchhiker, not realizing that he swerved and fell off the bridge where he first saw him and died, you know, after so many days on the road that this man is just an omen of a death that's already happened. Twilight Zone 
turned it into a female. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, yeah. They, they did adapt it in the 1960s black and white version, and it was played by a female. So even this version is not changing all that. I agree. What seems different about this one is racial politics. Much like they're creeping up on you, the idea that we have this privileged white person that's very insensitive, and then we have this poor black man that has to answer to them and haunting her with, thanks for the ride, lady. This is comedy, right? I mean, this is clearly the most comedic of the three. Yeah, I actually was getting a little bit of the telltale heart off of it. Like, it was her guilt haunting him. In the last podcast, we kept saying, is this really happening? Are the cockroaches real? Is Ted Danson really coming back as a zombie, or is it all in Leslie Nielsen's head? In this one, for most of the segment, I believe it's her own guilt and her own giving herself away that she keeps seeing this hitchhiker everywhere instead of just driving off. Yeah, I was thinking of that Twilight Zone episode wondering oh did she really die that this might have more of that i don't know supernatural element because they're all supernatural with creep show but you know we're psychological it might be in her head i I don't ultimately think so because it's creep show but this is the one that could go there yeah the problem is you know i think lois childs is pretty good in this part it's kind of a fun thing it's just a one note this one just gets dragged out way beyond what it's worth. And if you're not thinking it's funny, and I remember in my theatrical viewing not thinking it was very funny, honestly, I think this is my least favorite one, just because even though everyone remembers this one, the thanks for the ride lady, classic line, but I want this to be over well before it is. It's 25 minutes. I'll agree. I like what happens here. I like both performances. I think Lois Childs is doing really really good as Annie kind of cracking up and I think Tom Wright does a good job as this hitchhiker the gory makeup effects work thanks for the ride lady you killed me all of this is working but there's a lot of it it could have been cut in half yeah I like the gore in this one I like how the hitchhiker just gets more and more beat up as this goes on the fact that we're gonna get what seems like I'm sure it's shorter but what seems like 10 minutes of him holding on to the top of the car as she drives through the wood I, I don't know what kind of woods these are she He's driving through that you can't just drive a car through the woods like that the trees are much closer they i mean but the fact that she's just holding on there like it's some slapstick show it, it wears thin yeah and they try to enhance the irony because her husband gets delayed because he's the one that actually finds the body that she ran over okay that was her husband yes i, I was wondering if that's who that was yes i mean i recognize stephen king as the trucker yeah i recognized him yeah exactly you got to work him there in a truck no less after maximum overdrive yes. He has a much better performance here than he did as Jordy. I'll say that much. I'll agree with you there. Well, he does less of a performance. I mean, yeah, he, by <laughs> dialing it back, you're doing better for sure. But uh, I was really worried when he showed up, and <laughs> to be honest, because of the last film. But yeah, I was wondering if that was the husband because he has the car phone. You know, not not a cell phone, but mm-hmm. kids back in the days, you could have a phone in your car that was actually like hardwired into it. Yeah, that was a nice throwback there. Yeah. But yeah, there's just chase after chase, and I thought 
I knew how this was going to end several times. She starts ramming him into a tree. I'm like, okay, she's going to kill herself ramming it into the tree. And again, I thought it was her guilt, and we'd find out she just rammed herself into a tree for no reason. Then later, I thought she was going all Toons as the driving cat when she goes off the side there. <laughs> I thought the car was going to explode in flames. And But they got to get her back to the husband. Again, by leading to the husband's got to find her at home. I feel like they want to end it that way, but no, they have to have this very strange, unsatisfying ending where he's going to come home, lift the garage door, and she's dead holding the sign that the hitchhiker had. That will cost you, Mrs. Lansing. That's what she keeps saying here. But I'm like, that isn't enough. I feel like I need a richer irony here. There there needs to be something better than that. All of these need richer irony. <laughs> like, none of these have irony yeah, is the problem. True. But I do give this much. It's fun for whatever it is because of the performances. And Tom Wright actually would do this again. If you saw Tales from the Hood, which was sort of an African-American variation on Creepshow that came out about... I love that movie. Uh, about a decade after this one, if you remember the segment in which the police... Rodney King style beat a black man and he keeps coming back and taunting them. That's also Tom Wright kind of doing a riff on what he did here. I guess he just has a, a niche for playing abused <laughs> people by white people that come back as vindictive zombies. Good gig if you can get it. Yeah, I, the ending was a little bit hard to figure out with the whole carbon monoxide. I mean, the fact that he comes back at the end, of course he's going to come back at the end. But yeah, the carbon monoxide thing, the sign, I guess it's just supposed to be ghostly. And I'm if I'm judging this like an episode of Monsters or something like that, it's the ending I would have completely expected and been satisfied. Okay, satisfied is not how I feel. And I'm going to call out the score because you've ripped on it so much. I liked the score during this car chase scenes. I thought the music got really good at this point. Okay, well, I don't have complaints, so we'll, we'll call that a win. <laughs> but, of course, we got to wrap up the frame story that the bullies follow poor little Billy. We think that he's going to get beat up. Not really, but we were not sure. I didn't guess what AC had up his sleeve when they drive past the fence that says no trespassing. And it seems that Billy has already sent away for Venus flytraps. I kind of knew where it was going just based off what we'd seen. These stories haven't been overly inventive, so I didn't expect it to go a different way. It really follows the pattern of the last one. He's going to get his revenge by something he got from the comic books. By the same token, this Star Wars holiday special level animation is not doing it any favors. Yeah, it's an ending. I mean, like Voodoo Doll, we feel like the bully has gotten their comeuppance. They're, they're eaten. They're killed this time for sure. But Creeper's laughing. I'm not. It's the creep. Creeper is a DC oh, okay. character. And also a <laughs> different horror villain. Jeepers Creepers? Yeah. Again, I feel like that almost inverse of morality that I kind of dug about that first creep show where it, it's dirty feeling, but you like that. That's what you wanted. Here, you know, stabbing your dad in the neck through a voodoo doll. Ugh, that, I feel dirty just thinking about it. This, I don't know. It's bullies. They're getting eaten by plants that never exist. I guess voodoo dolls don't exist either, but you know <laughs> what I mean. They, like, this is more fantastical. Yeah, and less impressive by being so. 
But truly, the least impressive thing of all is Tom Savini back in that makeup. <laughs> yeah, he's got to show up again. Ruin the film even more. And the truck just driving away like everything else in this movie. Really slowly. <laughs> I don't know if you stayed through the credits. I, it was hard. I did, actually. Yes. For some reason, I was glued to my seat. Oh, is there stuff in the credits? Yes. There is Collier's Magazine, which Stephen King published many of his short stories in, in 1949, printed a defense of EC Comics. and Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it down here. It is, Juvenile delinquency is the product of pent-up frustrations, stored-up resentments, and bottled-up fears. It is not the product of cartoons and captions, but the comics are a handy, obvious, uncomplicated scapegoat. If the adults who crusade against them would only get esteemed up over such basic causes of delinquency as parental ignorance, indifference, and cruelty, they might discover that comic books are no more a menace than Treasure Island or Jack the Giant Killer from 1949. And my thought was, well, you could just take comics out and put rap lyrics in the early 90s or video games in the late 90s in the current era. Video games, yeah. Michael Gornick director he was really big on the comics code authority he actually had thought instead of an opening and closing animation he was going to find the senate subcommittee footage that involved the head of ec comics defending comics as entertainment and he was going to use actual senate footage as the bookend for this to introduce it what was the problem? The footage looked better than this film? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if they have actual footage of that. Yeah, and that day would have been like yeah, 8 millimeter or something. He said the idea was shot down early, meaning, hey, that's not entertaining to start your horror film. Yeah, they're getting all political all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess Gornick just really was holding on to this idea. And so if he couldn't put it at the beginning and he couldn't put it at the end, he'd put it in the credits. Yeah, the problem is, the irony is, is that this movie did make me want to break something afterwards. <laughs> well, no mystery from Stuart, but Jacob and Stuart, do you recommend Creepshow 2 and how do you rank the shorts? Jacob. You know, I watched this and I, I kind of feel like this, Oh, you guys are really trying. That's cute. You know, oh, first year's film students. Okay. Like, I almost want to grade this on a curve. I'm not going to, though. Stuart, you call them quarter babies. I, I did feel like I was watching dollar babies during this. Like, is this really a film? I don't know. Look, I like the gore parts. Like, if you just want to watch gore, I guess you could watch this, but it takes so long and it's so unsatisfactory. Such an unsatisfactory path to get there. It, like, these stories just aren't that great. They're not very fulfilling at all, but... There's some cool shots of blood, I guess, like arrows going through the neck. That's cool. But yeah, here, uh, it's no, it doesn't work. It, it's a not recommend. It's there's just so much filler here. And but when I rank these, I decided to rank them by what gore shots I liked because none of these stories are that great. And I went with the hitchhiker first. I like seeing that hitchhiker and like get more bloody and bloodier and bloodier throughout that segment, like he's missing his job by the end of it when he shows up in the garage. And eh, it's kind of funny, I guess, when he's yelling, thanks for the ride, lady. But I'll go with the hitchhiker and then the raft. Again, I that tarp, it, it kills people cool, I guess. Uh, I didn't judge the frame story last time. I guess we're judging that as well. 
I'll go with that next because look, Chief Woodenhead just deserves to be last. Like <laughs> there is so much story there that doesn't matter compared to the seconds of gore that you get, which which are satisfying, but it, it's mere seconds it feels like. So Chief Woodenhead's last. Stewart. You know, the problem is the budget. Honestly, the fatal injury, you could have kept everything. The same actors, the same director. But if they had the money to make this creep show with that comic book cinematography and special effects that are not humiliating, that they got the cadaver back to play the creep, I would have given this a pass. I mean, I don't need for this to be great. I mean, campfire horror tales don't have to be great to get to you. It's it's about creating the, the vibe, feeling the infection of the fun. But this is a fatal wound by slashing the budget the way they have. They would have been better off not making this or, or making these episodes from Tales of from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side. I By putting it out as a movie that people purchase tickets to, it did hurt the brand. I do understand why they didn't make another one. I mean, it's really too bad because I was such a fan of that first one. But yeah, there's nothing here that's better than any of the anthology TV series that would have been running at the time. You would have been better staying home and watching your TV set than going to the movies. And so I'm going to have to say not recommend, but my compliment is it's still better than just about anything that was released from Night Shift. That even as a collection of short stories, it's better than the movies of the short stories that they made from Stephen King's Night Shift, with the exception of Cat's Eye. As far as ranking them, that's a difficult task. Uh, Again, None of them are impressive. All of them are pretty uninspired. All of them have an asset or two that I like. I think I'll go with Old Chief Woodenhead because I genuinely do like those three kill shots. <laughs> Mere seconds. You're, you're saying to sit through <laughs> all of that for those 30 seconds yeah, of joy. Well, yeah. Uh, second, I guess the Hitchhiker because I like the performances. The raft just doesn't have anything going for it. And I would rank the animation just because the animation is so shitty at the very bottom. And I'm at the point where Jacob talked about last time where I need to rank these and do the math because I'm on the line with this one. Which one did you like? For me, the favorite, the one that I give a solid recommend to as a short, is The Raft. Yes, it's a tarp, but the rest of it works for me. The makeup effects, when it isn't a tarp and it becomes a goo I like, I like just the stock characters, I think it works as a suspense horror piece. It's not going to knock your socks off, but I thought it was really solid. I also enjoyed The Hitchhiker quite a bit. I It went on too long with some of the car stuff, but I like the complexity of this weird rich character and her gigolo boyfriend and her guild complex, and I'm wondering, is it all in her head or is it really happening? And the performances were good, so that's also a recommend. Woodenhead? No, I I can't recommend that. That thing, I I agree. I like the kills he does. I think they're a lot of fun. It's just unfortunately like five really good minutes after 25 minutes of what the fuck. 
I, I, we, it's funny to me how we all rank these so differently, but they're not that far apart, though. I want to yeah. say that, unlike you, I don't feel like any are close to getting a solid recommend. <laughs> yeah, they're all not recommended. Yeah, they're all these kind of middling, well, it could have been something if you had found another, you know, a couple dollars to, inv- yeah, if you give him something more than a lily pad, I could get excited about the raft, probably, but no, it, that's not a, an endorsable segment. And the frame story, I'm so ambivalent about entirely. It's neither a recommend nor a not recommend at that point. It's whatever. So I'm going to give this movie a weak recommend. Very weak, but... Consider Tom Savini's makeup in this. Does that still make it a recommend? Yeah, wiggling his fingers and wearing that. and, And that is supposed to be the host for this series. It's a weak recommend, but I think there's more good in here than bad. I think that it's worth a watch. If you enjoyed that first one, you'll enjoy this one less. (laughs) And I feel like I've turned into the dad that's like taking it out of Arnie's hands and throwing it in the trash and being like, you will not watch this crap anymore. Believe me, as a Creepshow fan, I didn't want it to end. And I remembered, my memory was, well, it's not very good, but there's enough about it that I remember liking. And the fact is, conceptually, I do like these stories. But in execution, this is just junk. Well, would this have been helped with the other two stories that got cut then? Do do we know what those are? We do. And we're going to be talking about one of them in just a couple weeks. Romero scripted both stories. And one of them is called The Cat from Hell. Okay, I I don't know. That that title alone. Well, we're going to be talking about it. It was made in... Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, it's the exact same script. They just took his pages and filmed them for that instead of this. And it doesn't have this shitty-ass director involved, so it might be the better for it. So they never filmed those other stories then? They just had scripts for them? No, not for this. Okay. Yeah. And then there's this story, Pinfall, which I don't think King ever actually made a short story that it was just a concept. Well, he came up with the concepts, and who knows if he ever wrote that up as a short story. I don't think he did. I did read the screenplay of it. It is another revenge tale. It would fit with this film. It would fit with the last one. And it's about two bowling teams, one of whom are, like, (laughs) (laughs) really serious, like, they take their bowling over seriously, and another team that's good at bowling, but they're basically party guys just there to have fun and they get interrupted by an old man who shows up and interrupts one of their games and so the good guys make this old man a member of their team the bad news bores laughing already i can imagine creeper just rusting a gut over there (laughs) (laughs) the creep the creep right right (laughs) well the old man dies and he turns out to be a millionaire who will leave his entire inheritance to whichever team ends up having the highest score at the end of the season. And so things get really heated between the bad news boars and... This just sounds like a sports movie. (laughs) No, wait for it. The bad guys are going to cheat, of course. Yes. Things get heated. The regimen are the other sports team. Get it? They're regimented. 
Yeah, no, I, I got it. They're losing, and so they sabotage the Bad News Boar's car, and they drive off a cliff and all die, leaving the regiment, the winner of the league, and inheriting the $5 million. But if you've seen The Last Creep Show, you know what happens next. <laughs> the Bad News Boars come back as zombies. Yeah. Is it zombie bowling? Yeah, they tear up the other team and make the pins their limbs. And th they bowl with their heads. Okay, nah, that might be fun if they have money to do it. Yeah, it sounds like it could take a long time, too, again. Yes. You know, a lot of Stephen King gets inflated. Those short pieces get turned into features, and even here in Creepshow, they're not served well by going over 15 minutes. I really think the goal should be 15, 20 minutes max on all these stories. Uh, th that's got to be the limit. Otherwise, write something more complex. Well, there is a chance we may see Pinfall someday. Are you talking about this Kickstarter campaign? They lost. I the am talking about the Kickstarter campaign. They didn't get their money. And I think it was only supposed to be a short. Well, they did. In 2014, a group of British filmmakers started a Kickstarter where they only needed a thousand pounds about, you know, $1,600 or so for the pre-production of making Pinfall as a fan film. Well, they got that $1,000 and they made a trailer and they really went grindhouse with it. They like intentionally scratched the film and made it look all grungy. There's only one line said in the trailer they produced and it's a zombie saying, let's bowl. But he's got this really thick British accent. It feels to me, if you're dealing with a bunch of drunken bowlers who just are sitting around drinking beer, that, that just feels stereotypically American. So they got the money for this pre-production, but then they decided to go a different way, and Indiegogo, they wanted 8,500 pounds to do this, they raised 255 pounds. Seven people donated money after that first Kickstarter. That's it. That sounds like their family. Mm, that must have been a really good trailer. <laughs> <laughs> we made less when you asked us to make the full thing than when we had nothing to show. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you're not making me want to see it. First of all, we don't cover fan films. No. There's a lot of dollar babies and things that are made that we are ignoring. Stephen King is a long enough franchise that I'm always happy to exclude whenever we can. And this doesn't, you know, it sounds at best like it would be a fun YouTube clip or something. But they want it to be 40 minutes long, which I think is a mistake. Mm, no, 20 minute rule. Yeah, but the... People are still posting to Facebook. They still hope to make it happen. I don't know if they'll ever get it off the ground. It's kind of like several of those dollar babies that we talk about. I feel like I don't even know if they've paid a dollar or if they're just going rogue with this. But who knows? If you're a Creepshow 2 completist, though, there is a chance for pinfall. But we're going to get to the cat from hell with Tales from the Dark Side of the movie in three weeks. We've got Blair Witch next week and then... One more Creep Show with Creep Show 3. Although Romero and King didn't have any involvement in that. I don't know what <laughs> we're going to be talking about next week. I know that I'm scared. I mean, when I'm thinking about ranking, I'm like, is it going to be worse than Mangler? I mean, how bad is it going to be? 
Yeah, I haven't seen it either. The DVD is sitting here. I feel like I'm on the raft and that DVD is the tarp floating around me and <laughs> eventually it's I'm going to get tired and it's going to eat me. Yeah, I, I do think we have a contender for maybe one of the worst or Stephen King. I don't know. I'm not going to be positive. I can't pretend that like, oh, I'm going to like it. I've never heard a kind thing said about it. But maybe it's not the absolute worst. If it's better than a Mangler film or some of those Children of the Corn, I will consider that a success. <laughs> Low bar. Very. Creepshow 2 is better than those things. Well, yes. So by that definition, Creepshow 2 is a success. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think I said that. It's more successful than anything made of Night Shift. Hmm. Well, we'll see. But next week, we've got Blair Witch. And don't forget this Friday for our donors who support this show and allow us to podcast week after week. Return of the Fly as we continue our Fly retrospective series. You can find the details out by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next week, thanks for the ride, lady. Thanks for the ride. Still here, kiddies? Well, it's time for this uh, boogeyman to boogie. I'll be slaying you, boys and <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Why don't you ask us to leave? Yeah, why don't you run us out of town, chef? Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original short stories and novels. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear our reviews of other Stephen King movies, such as Carrie, The Shining, Children of the Corn, Cujo, and dozens more in our archive section. This is my cave. I want it. It's mine. Also on our site, hear reviews of other films such as Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Riddick, Friday the 13th, the Avengers films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. If there's any movies that you want to see, don't wait. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. I've never seen anyone so impatient, Billy, as if your life depended on getting the first copy off the presses. <laughs> While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Hey, looking for some companionship? Next week. Unless I get a better bank job. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I wonder how much they'd pay for it up to college. 
You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Good idea. Maybe I should. Now Playing's Creep Show series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Why don't you go back to your computer, you geek? Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Quiet down. Why don't you talk too much? The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Heads are going to roll. I promise you that. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I can't get worried about it, man. I mean, uh, no matter how hard I try, I just can't get worried about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Till the next issue, try to stay scared. And I know they weren't asking Stephen King to direct. Maximum Odor Drive had come out the year before. Did you say Odor Drive? Because <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and leave it in. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> so I did go and read Cat from Hell. We're going to get that. They did eventually film that and it's a segment in tales from the dark side the movie and also something called pinback pinfall i thought is it pinfall yeah i know but i wrote everywhere in my notes pinback all right You're wrong you you conceded to arnie that he was right with pinfall well i mean that's what makes sense it's about bowling but all right <laughs> So, so there's also this story that I don't think King ever actually wrote called Pinback. It's just uh, Pinfall. God damn it. <laughs> Finger leatherless gloves. Nothing says more evil in yes. the 80s. You strap one of those things on. You didn't, he didn't even need the spurs. Look. That was the ultimate sign of being a badass. I remember I want I would cut fingers off of gloves just so I could have those. <laughs> it did instantly identify you as a dangerous threat. And so even as a kid. Marjorie made me get rid of mine when we started dating. <laughs> you had them? <laughs> Why did you still have them then? That wasn't the 80s. Yeah, that was the year 2000, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow. I used them for driving. They were my driving gloves. Okay, driving <laughs> gloves should have fingers. They just don't have the knuckles because you you're doing the grip. Oh, well, whatever, you know. Were you, were you really fast and furious then that where you needed driving gloves? He was. I've been in the car with him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the answer is hell yes, he was. What you needed was a good airbag. <laughs> Oh, no. I have never had an accident. <laughs> I know somehow. It's amazing. Because <laughs> I outrun the targets I could hit. <laughs> the Hitcher, starring Holly Goodhead. The Hitchhiker, you mean? The Hitchhiker. Yeah, we'll be doing The Hitcher, too. But you gotta <laughs> wait for a couple weeks. And that's going to make her reckless and careless in the car, and she's going to hit a pedestrian while she's smoking. 
Might I add, she's wearing driving gloves. Yes. With fingers. <laughs> <laughs>